I did it again. Okay. Little blank in the beginning. Bruchem Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Meves Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. I don't mean weekly. This week Shabbos Pashas Vayetze Zayin Kislev May not be any great significance to everyone else here, but it's a schus, of course. This year, this week, will be the schus. <coughs> the Afruf, the Shabbos Kala, for the Chos and the Kala, shall add into Miriam Menucha. Abolin of Tevim, Bishat Tevim, Mitzlachas, Bishat Binyan, Adi Ad. They should build a bias name, be Yisrael, bring a lot of Nachas to all of us, to the Rebbe, most importantly. You know, as a little boy, question always is asked. Um, sometimes, though, the little boy is not as privy or not as savvy. But the common asked question, <coughs> commonly asked question. And it, there's a letter that someone wrote to the Rebbe about it as a question <laughs> as well. From the back of Chedek Tezvolek with the Sikhas. With the Rebbe's answer to the question. The person asked the Rebbe, we all know that Yitzchak Avinu never left Eretz Yisrael. Yitzchak never left Eretz Yisrael because he was a Karabin Eilat Tomid, and therefore Avram gave strict instructions that he should not leave. The Abishta, the Almighty tells him, do not leave when it comes to going to get food, etc. So Yitzchak never left that to show. But then the story tells us that Yaakov lies down and the entire Eretz Yisrael is folded beneath his head. And therefore, the Almighty tells him that with this you are kind of the entire land. You are per- you are now taking ownership of the entire Holy Land of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. So the, the obvious question that the person asks the Rebbe is where whoops, where was Yitzchak? If the whole land was folded under Yaakov's head, where was Yitzchak? And the Rebbe gives the obvious answer. The Rebbe says, I don't understand what you're asking about. It was a dream. It was a dream. So the question really doesn't have much credence. Let us now visit Yaakov's journey. <coughs> Yaakov does leave it. So Yaakov was not a carbon either. And Yaakov is now going to journey out of Eretz Israel. Now, the reason we learned last week's Parsha, the little fallout between Yaakov and his brother endangering Yaakov's life. And on his mother's recommendation, and his father agreed as well, he should get out of town. Because Asa was unpredictable, dangerous. So Yaakov is going to travel to Choron, to Lovon, his uncle, Uncle Lovon. More, fam- more family oriented known as Lovan Harami. He's going to travel to Lovan. So the Tate is telling us his take, making this journey. Now, truth to be told, it's very important everything that a tzaddik does. 
And if when Eliezer, the Eved, the servant, every prat, every 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 nuance is mentioned in the Torah of his journey on a shlichus of Avram Avinu, being a messenger, an emissary of Avram Avinu. How much more so? The Holy Father, the Bechir Shabbat, is the most choice of the forefathers. Yaakov Avinu. Every nuance is mentioned. So technically when it says, Vayetze Yaakov Be'eshava Vayelech although the question stands to, <coughs> stands to be asked, Yaakov went to Choron. The mission was go to Choron. We know he was leaving his house. He's going to Choron. Why Vayetze Yaakov? Why the words that Yaakov is leaving Be'er Shava? What is this announcement? How is it relevant to us? And what does it teach us? This question, Rashi understands, is a very integral question and a question which the Ben Chomesh, the Mikra, is going to ask. Our five-year-old learning Torah is going to ask this very question. And therefore, ridiculous, Rashi explains, Magid, the words of the Medrash, it comes to tell us, When a tzaddik leaves a place, it makes an impression. When the tzaddik is in the city, he's the hoida, he's the hoida of the city, the shine of the city, whose ziva is the rays of the city, who adara is the whole beauty of the city. Yotza Misham, Vayetze Yaakov, Yotza, he left from there. What happens? What leaves with him? Leaves with him Ponaheda, Ponaziva, Ponahadara, the three things leave. Okay. So therefore, says Rashi, the Torah tells us the words Vayetze Yaakov, Meshava. That Yaakov left Be'er Shava. This raises even a bigger and greater question. When he was in Be'er Shava, he was living by his parents. Old bachelor living at home. His parents, Yitzchak and Rivka, were very, very holy people. They were big tzaddikim. Yitzchak was a very big tzaddik. Rivka was a tzaddikis. So Yaakov leaves town. And oh, the whole shine, the whole light, everything is gone. Because the tzaddik has left. Excuse me. Yitzchak was still there, Rivka was still there. How do you now say that when Yaakov leaves and the tzaddik leaves the town, then Hadar leave town? But the truth is, Rashi does not quote word for word verbatim the Medrash. For as the Medrash says it, the Medrash says, the Tzaddik leaves the city. When the Tzaddik is in the city, who ziva, who aora. Rashi adds. And Rashi puts first the word, Haida, ziva, and haora. <coughs> yeah, Rashi puts three forms of influence that a Tzaddik has on a city. Hadora, 
shows honor. Thank you. The tzaddik brings honor to the city. Ziva, the light that spreads over the city from the tzaddik. This is the influence that the tzaddik has on the city itself. But Hoida, Hoida is already something else. Hoida, Hoida is a type of light. But it's different than Ziv and it's different than anything else. Why? Because Hoida causes the light of Hoid causes fear, instills fear in a person. It says in the Pasuk, Al Karne shall Rabbeinu. had the horns of Hoid that came from his head and therefore needed to put on a mask because people could not look at him because of the fear of looking at him. So this Hoid shows. This height brings about the yira, the fear that tzaddik causes on the ancha yir, on the people of the city. So now we can approach our question. When Yaakov Avinu leaves Be'er he leaves Yitzchak and Rivka behind. Yes. Two tzaddikim. Yitzchak, unfortunately, was already blind. And therefore, he, had to, he was homebound. So he was not going around in the streets shining, lighting up the streets and causing, throwing the fear of people the fear of God into their hearts Rivka, because Yitzchak was homebound had to be home also she had to be there to look after her husband <coughs> so therefore they were not able to bring about the Haida of the city So who was bringing this about in the city? Yaakov Avinu. When he would go around through the city, not only was the Ziv and the Hadara, but was also the Haida. He threw upon the person the fear of God. So now when he leaves the city, Pana Haida. Haida has left. Yaakov Avinu knew that when he leaves Be'er Shava, he's causing, he's going to cause himself a tremendous Yerida. He's going to be going downhill. <coughs> and yet, he's made to Nefesh. He sacrifices himself in order to fulfill God's command, God's want and to set up a nation in the Jewish nation. And how can he do this? Only by going to Choron. Yaakov leaving Be'eshava to Choron hints, implies the story of the Neshama coming down into this world. Be'eshava hints the source, the root of the neshama, the maila, above. Charona is a sign of this world. Charein shel elam. Charein af shel makim. So therefore we say that the tzaddik leaving from his place, from his source, makes a roisham, it makes an impression. 
And now we have the Mesidus Nefesh because of the Neshama. The Neshama leaving its source, leaving the godly source of which it's part of, and going down to this world. And in the merit of this pure Mesidus Nefesh, each and every Jew is fit, is becoming Makadosh Baruch Hu, to be returned to his homeland and to be attached, reattached to the Almighty, to the Geula, Amitus Vashlema Bimheira Vyamenu Aidei Meshach Zikeinu Amen. I've told the story before. I find it very, very powerful. It has a tremendous lesson. And it's worth telling you again. Talking about Shlichas. Just in time for the story. Just in time for the story. Okay. Welcome, Scranton. Welcome back, Scranton. The story is told that Hashem called in a student and told him to travel to India. Travel to India. Needless to say, traveling to India is no easy feat in those days. This work? I hope so. Traveling to India was no easy feat. And especially if you don't know why you're going. And here the mission the Bashem to sent him Hashem tells him, you will find out. You'll find out what I'm sending you for. The chassid, as a normal chassid should be, with complete Kabbalah sale, acceptance of the yoke of the chassid from his Rebbe, purchases ticket for the ship, and sets sail. He sets sail. No, he sh- he sets sail, and he's sitting and he's sleeping in his room. They end up and that it's not a it's not a uh, day trip. And one night. He feels azets. Azets, and he gets flung off his bed, his bed, his mattress, whatever. And he hears banging and zetsing. And he gets up to go see what happened. And as about to open the door, the door opens itself, the water comes flying in. The ship is sinking. Poor Chassid grabbed his talus and film, and that's all he could still find, and he was off into the ocean, into the blue sea, storming, raining. Vastutman, <coughs> and he finds a box floating, another thing floating, he's hanging on to his dear life, and lo and behold. There was a life raft on the boat, floating by, with no one else on it, and he jumps in, and there were like blankets or whatever, there was like a tarp, whatever is on the boat, he covered himself up, because it was raining, it was getting pelted, and hoped that this is not going to sink too. And then our poor chassid from this ordeal, and it was still in the middle of the night, fell asleep under the tarp. I can well imagine lying under a tarp 
and the rain pit patting on your head. Ah, must be a pleasure to sleep. <laughs> it's a little better than Yaakov had on, his, on the mountain over there, with the rocks around his head. Anyway, falls asleep. And he has no idea how long he slept, he just knows that it was very, very hot under there all of a sudden. And he moves the tarp, and there's sunshine. And not only there's sunshine, but his boat's not moving either. And he looks all across, he looks out, and he's on a, he landed on an island. Landed on an island? Where can this island be? Where could I be? What day is it? Where am I? Totally lost, Nebuch. No. He realizes that he better go look for food or for drink or for something because the way the situation is now, it's not good. And he has to wash his hands. He has to daven. And he starts to walk a little bit. He hears a brook. He hears water running. He walks up and he sees, lo and behold, a beautiful brook, a stream, fresh water. Chaya, he drinks, he makes washnegavas at first. And he stands and davens. And after davening, he says, Now what happens here? If this is a deserted island, then I'm desert. <laughs> Some wild animals are going to come along, and I'm, I'm going to be that desert. It'll be the end of it. Loma Gainzan, maybe there is some kind of inhabitants on this, on this island. So our Chassid starts to walk and he sees a road. Obviously not a paved road, but it's a path, it's a road that someone has made, someone uses, or multi-people use. So he starts to travel the road. He walks and walks and walks. And to his shock, can't do it. No. To his shock, he finds houses. Houses. Give all <laughs> How much more can I ask for? And he comes to the houses. What happened? Sorry. Okay. He comes to the houses and there's a mezuzah on the door. Zuzah, yet also in the middle of this, who knows where. He knocks on the door. Nobody's answering. Tries the doorknob and the door opens up. And he calls in. Hello, Shalom, Aguten. Something? Anything? Any language? Anyone's here? Nobody's here. He walks into the house, he walks around the house, he goes for a tour. Nobody here. Let me go next door. And next door again is house with the mezuzah. And one house after the other with mezuzahs. And one house after the other, empty. And then he comes upon what must have been a store. It's be a food store. And the food store is fully stocked. Bread, vegetables. I don't think they have milk in those days. Some eggs. He takes a few food items, writes it down on a paper to the balabos. I took this and this thing. When you come in, please let me know. I'll yeah, I'm here, I'm around. Divinely goes to the next house. It's a story of Goldilocks here. And he goes inside. He washes. Sits down. He eats a meal. Davin's mincha. Sits not abyssal. It gets dark. Davin's maiv. And he uses one of the beds and he goes to sleep. He's exhausted. He's exhausted. Physically exhausted from the journey from the episode, from from everything that happened here now. He's exhausted, he just falls asleep on his bed. When's the last time he slept in a bed? A normal bed. 
No. Fartogs, apparently, early morning, he wakes up to a lot of noise. And he looks out the window, and there's major hustle and bustle going on outside. And they're buying and they're selling and they're... It's just... Whoa! Where did all these people come from? And he runs outside into the street and he tries to talk to somebody and the guy says, Shabbos is coming! Shabbos is coming! No time to talk! No time to say! No time to... The Bible? We're left. Everybody's running back and forth and back and forth. Finally, someone runs by him. Says Rabid, Shabbos is coming. Gotta go to the mikveh. Let's go. Here's fresh clothes. Come. He's in fresh clothes, and the guy starts running, and he starts running behind him like a shindalid. And he runs, he runs, and they come to the mikveh, they go, and the tables and everything, he's trying to ask the guy something. And the guy says, I have no time to talk, now I'm in the bathhouse, I don't want to talk. In the mikveh, what's going on over here? Comes out of the mikveh, and the guy says to him, listen, big mitzvah to be here, first ten in the shul, come on, schnell. And they go to the shul. And they come to the shul, and there's like, uh, people there already. Maybe they were there from the first ten. And they sit down and they're being Marvesedra, Shnai Mikra, whatever they're doing, people are sitting there. No. Also sitting, also joining is a chaser of the Bashemtus. Sitting there, Shul fills up. Shul fills up. It's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful Yidin. And all of a sudden, the door opens up. A man with a big, beautiful white beard. Beautiful white clothes. He must have been the Rebbe. The Rebbe is here. Everybody stands up. He walks to the front of the shul, takes his place, and they start to dance. The chazan had such a beautiful voice. And the chazan's beautiful voice matched with his songs, and the nigunim were mamish unbelievable. Things that he's never heard such songs. And everybody's singing along in such perfect harmony. What a davening, what a davening. Needless to say, no time to discuss the sports or the or business this week. There's davening, is davening. Everybody's davening. No. Davening finishes. The guy sitting next to him turns to him and says, Come eat by me. Can't say no to that. But, figures, by the Sudha, he'll have an opportunity. He'll have a chance to uh, find out what's going on here. Where was everybody yesterday and where did they come today? Well, <laughs> in his shock and chagrin, as they walked out of shul, the man started firing away questions on the parasha. Such powerful, intriguing questions. Chassid was head was spinning from them. And he starts explaining them. And he's giving them the answers. And they get to the house. And as they get to the house, the family's there, they greet them, Shabbos. And the meal starts. And as soon as the meal starts, and they're eating, either they're eating or they're talking to Britaira. Food was delicious. It was so filling. It was so fantastic. And there was no time to ask the question what's going on the meal finishes and the man was exhausted beyond and he figures okay tomorrow's another day it's Shabbos and the host offered him a room a bed he goes to sleep 
says Krishna. Like a chosid, the Bashem Tov says. And there's uh, an issue now. He goes to sleep. Early morning, he hears the Balabas already getting up, stirring. Excuse me, he comes out. It's cool, we get in mikveh. We go to the mikveh. And on the way back, they're talking to Vritera. And they sit down and they learn something before davening. And they go to davening and again, the davening of the Slavas. And the Rebbe standing in the front. And the, everybody's davening beautifully out loud. And the cousin's voice is phenomenal. <sighs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable experience. But I still don't know what's going on. And on the way home from Shul again, and there's no minute for him to ask a question even. This person spoke so eloquently and so clear and explained everything so beautifully, he couldn't open his mouth. No. Till they finished through the Shabbos, it was time to go to Mincha. And they had Shalashudas. And again, the Nigunim and the Lilling, the Divitator. Not a minute to spare. Comes to Shul to Davin Maidiv. Okay, well, Davin Maidiv. Maidiv will finish. I'll hear that and I can talk. After Maidiv, very interesting thing happens. The whole congregation lines up in a single file. And they stand there waiting. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe gets up and he makes Havdalah. He makes Havdalah and there's a beautiful custom that he didn't have. They should see and hear good things during the week. And their pockets should be full. You dip your fingers into the wine of the Avdallah, you put it on your eyes, you put it on your ears, you put it in your pockets. At least that's what they do in my house. Some people might have different, but on the eyes for sure. And the chassid gets on the line, the back of the line. He'll also, has to, he also has to do it anyway, he knows that. And uh, then he'll ask. <laughs> First person comes to the becha, to the plate of the Rebbe, and he puts his fingers on his eyes, and boom, he disappears. The second the same, the third the same, the fourth the same. And the Chosek is moving further and further up on the line, and as he's getting closer and closer, everyone's disappearing. As he gets in front of the Rebbe, the Rebbe smiles and looks at him and puts his fingers on the thing and wipes his eyes and disappears. Oi. I am stuck here. I have no one to talk to now. And nothing to say and I know what to ask where I am or what's going on. Bye, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday afternoon. Boom, the house, the places again. Shakalaka. They're running and they're going. No. Again, there's no way of asking a question. And again, the whole Shabbos scene goes through, and again, no way of talking to anybody. But the Chassid got a little smarter this time. And as he got closer and closer up to the Rebbe, and one person after the other disappeared, as he got in front of the Rebbe, the Rebbe smiles, puts his fingers in the wine, and he grabs the Rebbe's wrists. He says, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you explain to me what's going on over here. It's okay. Take your hands off. Please go. Huh? Thank you. That's left over? No. Oh. And he... 
Tells him the following. Many, many years ago, in Yerushalayim Mirakedish, time of the Beis HaMikdash, the Eden started to do things wrong. Started to really misbehave. We, the community that you see here, we all detached ourselves. We left from Yerushalayim, we moved to a city, we made our own settlement. To make sure that our children, that our generation stay Jewish, stay religious, stay the way they should be. Unfortunately, one day, we saw smoke coming from Yerushalayim. We sent a messenger to find out what happened. And he came back half dead, crying bitterly, saying Nebuchadnezzar invaded Yerushalayim, destroyed the Beis Hamidash. And that was the smoke. That was heartbreaking, heartrending. We couldn't, couldn't cope with it. And we were so heartbroken, heartstricken that the entire city died. Over a few months, the whole city died. Came Lamaila, came upstairs to Bez and Shemaila. And Bez and Shemaila said, You can stay here on a permanent basis. Or we can have an arrangement done for you. Six days a week you stay here, and for Shabbos you go back to earth to have Shabbos. And that's what we chose. So in essence, all those people you see here are dead. (coughs) But, they come back for Shabbos. Now since you know the story, since you are privy to our secret, we will give you a choice. You can join us, dip your fingers in the wine, wipe your eyes and come up with us for six days. Or you can go back to where you came from. He says, listen, I have a Rebbe, the Bashemtiv. I don't make any decisions, especially such drastic ones, on my own. I mean, ideally, yes. <laughs> How much more could you ask for? Going up to heaven and being in heaven for six days and coming down just for Shabbos Kedesh. I mean, it's, it's, it's real Ganeden. <laughs> um, but I have to ask my other. <coughs> so I would have to travel back to Mezhibush first. He said, okay, go back to Mezhibush and find out. Hey, 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 wait a minute. I don't know if you noticed, we're on an island here. I was a few days on a boat till I got here. And I don't have a boat to go back to Mezhibush. So the Rebbe tells him, don't worry. I'm going to give you a paper with Hashem's name on it. Memorize it. Close your eyes and vision yourself where you want to be. Do not open your eyes until you feel your feet are solid on the ground. You'll take, obviously, hold this paper with you. And as soon as you landed, as soon as you came to your destination, you have to throw the paper up into heaven and a hand will come and take it. <laughs> Listen, after spending two Shabbos with dead people, <laughs> he, he had no problem understanding exactly what the guy's talking about. And so, he memorizes the words, the names of Hashem that are on the paper, and he closes his eyes, and he pictures, he envisions himself in Mezhibuz, and he feels himself lifting up off the ground. And I would imagine, if he, he wanted to know what he felt like, he felt like he was flying. But his eyes were closed. 
And he flew and he flew and he felt the wind against him and everything until finally he felt his feet touch the ground. And he was standing solidly on the ground. He opened his eyes. And he's in Mezhebush. So he takes the paper now, because this is what he promised he had to do. And he winds up to throw it, and all of a sudden somebody grabs his arm and grabs the paper out of his hand. And he turns around, and it's the Baal Shem Tov. And he says, thank you. That's what I sent you for. And don't worry about the other person. He knows that I'm using this to save people. He'll be fine. He'll forgive you. So for this, the Baal sent him on this wild goose chase. That's science fiction to me. It's the Baal you don't say such things. Yaakov leaves early morning and a very short time later, Baal Sunset. Now he didn't travel either through any time zones. He didn't go from uh, California to New York even, where you can go from leave one leave in the morning and come back and come here in the afternoon. He literally left barely Beersheba, and he was in essence still in Israel. He was in Harabais, but all of a sudden the sunset. That's the Lushan the sun set on him here he is in Haramiria and he settles himself down Vayivka we say Rashi says Kazal tell us this was the first time that Yaakov had lied down to sleep in years, in, after 14 years. 14 years that he sat in the Shiva Shem Ve'ever, he never lied down to go to sleep. Enough, enough. Thank you. So the question comes to differ here. For 14 years he doesn't sleep. He goes to Lovan for 20 years and doesn't sleep there either. All of a sudden, he finds the place, the holiest place on earth, the place where the Besamikdash is going to stand. Here, all of a sudden, he lies down to go to sleep. Well, the truth is, Yaakov says, Is Hashem here in such presence and I didn't know about it? So yeah, alright, he didn't know what was going on here. But the question still stands to ask. Why did Hashem have him fall asleep in this place? Sleeping is a very big yirida spiritually. A person is on this world to do a mission. You can only accomplish and do that mission when you're awake. When you're asleep, although I know that when we were in school, you used to have some kids, the teachers would tell them, you're a good boy when you're sleeping. (laughs) I snore. Um, Person is a person when he's standing. Came a skufa. Standing up. See his head, you see his body. You see a person. The heart, the head. And then you see the feet on the bottom. When a person is lying down, it becomes very interesting. There's no top and there's no bottom. It's flat. It's flat. Or sideways, if a person sleeps on the side. The head and the heart that represents spirituality, we put on our tefillin, next to our heart and next to our mind. 
And the bottom part of the body has its part. But the real spirituality, the real important part of the body is on top. But when a person is lying down, it's equal. There's no top and there's no bottom. With this, they said, we see therefore, when a person is lying down, they can make it that the top part, although it's higher than the rest of the part, the fact that it's separate, different than the rest, is only something that the person himself causes. Because the top part is spiritually connected more than the bottom. When it comes to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, ain't safe. There's no difference. There's no Rukhniyas, Gashmiyas. Everything is equal when it comes to the Almighty. When it comes to Hashem, and this we find when Yaakov Inu lies down in a holy place, and only there, in the holiest of places, where the light of God is never ending. Can Yaakov Inu cause the total nullification of above and below? So much so that the head and the feet are on equal plane. This is what took place, this is what transpired on that beautiful night. Yaakov Inu did in the base Hamikdash. That in the place of the Beis Hamidosh. The dream that he dreamt, the ladder going up from the heavens, from the earth to the heaven, the ladder that attaches earth and heaven, and therefore, in this very moment, Yaakov was given the strength to attach spirituality and physicality heaven and earth when only on his mission to Choron on his journey to Choron where the mission was to set up and to establish Kalal Yisrael and therefore Ultimately, causing the finality, the find, how to finish off such an Aveda, that it had come to a time where the spirituality, the Elam Agashmi, will be affected such a way that Veroko Yachtov and Abbasa Gashmi will see, the physical body will see, Kipi Hashem Diber, that the voice, the mouth of God is speaking. Let's meet Yaakov. Yaakov in the beginning of our parsha, and Yaakov at the end of our parsha. In this week's parsha, Yaakov leaves Beershava and goes to Choron. He travels to Choron. He gets the Choron, he sees Rachel, he meets Lovan and the crowd, all the cronies, he meets Lovan with all his shenanigans, Lovan Arami, guy who couldn't say a straight word, honest word, and he tries as hard as he can to outsmart this Lovan, and as much as he tries, he can't do it. I want to marry Rachel, your daughter, the younger one. All the different ways of labeling so that he shouldn't confuse and love in any way did what he wanted. And he works seven years to marry her. And ends up with Leah. 
And then, short, then he says he would work another seven years for Rachel. Now, according to Mepharshim, he didn't wait seven years to marry Rachel. They didn't marry Rachel right away because he knew he'd work seven years. So now they had 14 years. And then after establishing with all the children, etc., he wants to leave. And Lavan begs him, please stay on, and the longer he stays, another six years. And then he leaves. And the episode of leaving in Rachel took the Trafim and all that transpires. This is a major fast forward of Tres Pasha. And he returns to the land. So there's a Yaakov that leaves the land and there's a Yaakov that returns to the land. Chazal tell us, Maise Ovois Simen Labonim. What happened to our forefathers is something that was set up for the children. So the story of Yaakov Avinu that takes place in our Pasha is not a story. It's a lesson. I have to give it back something. The leaving of Yaakov from Be'ashava hints to us the Golos of the Jewish nation, the exile. And the Rambam says in Hilchus Yisaida that the latter Hasulam Sherag Yaakov Avinu Umalachim Eilim Vierdim Bayayim Mashal Malchies Shabudan. This latter was a Mashal, was a parable to all the different kingdoms that we're going to face and all the different servitudes. Yaakov returning to Eretz Yisrael is teaching us about the Geula. And therefore we have a lesson, a life lesson for generations thereafter. Yaakov goes out to Haran. Not only to accomplish, this was the actual reason ultimately, but to get married. To set up Am Yisrael. Most of the Shvatim were born in Kharan. To redeem all the sparks of spirituality, of holiness, that were hidden in Kharan. And he could only do that while he was in Kharan. The same thing also, the Golos of the Jewish nation. Because of our sins, we were exiled from our land. And this exile is because of our sins. But this is an outside reason. The real reason for exile is to spread the Kedusha, the holiness in every place, and to sanctify the world. And through the Golos Am Yisrael, Causes a dwelling place for God. Only by being in Golas can we reach this. Because once we're redeemed, once Lots of Love comes about, whatever we've accomplished, we've accomplished, and we can no longer accomplish anything new, it is now only to build on what we did. So the Pasha tells us that when he goes out of Choran, Yaakov sees Malachi Elikim Eilim God, the angels going up and going down. Rashi explains why were they going up first. If they're angels, they should be coming down first. <coughs> Rashi explains that the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael, that, how do you get so far? The Malachim of Eretz Yisrael, that accompanied Yaakov till here could not go out of Eretz Yisrael. Therefore, they went up. And the other Malachim that had to go to go in Chuzlaret came down. And therefore, the end of the parsha reverses. Vayifgu bei malachi elikim. Who are the malachi elikim? The malachi Yisrael came to greet him. 
to bring him back into Eretz Yisrael. Because the honor of having a Yaakov return. So there are two types of Malachim. The Malachim Chutz Laretz, which had to watch over Yaakov Avinu, that he shouldn't get affected by love and Arami. And the Malachim Eretz Yisrael that brought him back the way he came in. To bring him back, to give him back into the Kedusha, to the holiness that he was now going to have in Israel. Where did these Malachim get created from? They were created from the holiness and from the tasks that Yaakov Avinu accomplished while in Kharon. This is the lesson, the life lesson of the Jewish nation. A Jew does not have to be affected, does not have to be, have his boat, his, his, his boots shook, his essence shaken by being in exile. We need to remember, before going out to Golos, HaKadosh Baruch has sent us Malachi Eretz Yisrael, angels of Eretz Yisrael, to help us out, to give us the keiches, so that we should overcome any tri- any tribulations and hardships of the Golos. And also in the time of Golos, we find ourselves now with the Malachi Chutzlaretz, that are watching over us. The Torah tells, the, the Tehillim, Dabra Melech says, Yisrael, he doesn't rest, he doesn't sleep, the guardian of Israel. And the Goyim themselves are becoming a Mnayich. And they're coming to help us. They're coming to join us. Therefore now, as we come to the end of the Golos, HaKadosh Baruch sends towards Am Yisrael, the end of our Tafkid, rejoicing with us again now comes the Malachi Eretz Yisrael to bring us back into Eretz Yisrael to bring us to the Gula Amitus Vashlema because now that we have fulfilled our mission here in Golos now that we have done what has to happen in Golos we now can now we can now return into Eretz Yisrael we can now use and utilize all the spirituality and the Kedusha of Aratzeinu Agdesha until we get to the Bracha, which again is benched in this week's Pasha, the Bracha that's given to Yaakov Avinu, as, as the Abishar reveals himself to him. You stop fading out on me over there. As Hashem reveals himself to him, this is a bracha that has no boundaries, that has no limitations, telling us that we will be able to inherit the world from all sides. There will be no limitation, and this is the concept of Shabbos Kedish. If you're keeping score at home, the Gemara Mesech, the Shabbos, Kuf Yud Ches, the bottom of Amr Aleph on. Very beautiful. I got it this on the Kuf Yud Ches, Amr Aleph, Amr Beis. Amr Beis talks about, by the way, the greatness of a wife. That Rabbi said, Ishti Zubesi. He didn't call her my wife, he called her my house. Because she was the foundation. She was his whole life. And this is therefore the bracha that we receive with a nachla, with no boundaries, to midagvala, to be able to keep away from all the dvaram chitzenim, from all the outside sources that try to hinder and try to hold back the neshama from doing what it needs to do. <clears throat> when you when the Jew keeps Shabbos, he keep he reveals the etzim of his neshama the etzim of his soul, without any boundary, and therefore the guarantee comes in the world. We're given a nachla inheritance without any boundaries, and a merit, a reward, without any boundaries.
And this is what we look forward to on the Shabbos of Ayetze Yaakov. As we're going to go out of this Golis, we're going to go out of Golis and we're going to be greeted by the Malachi Ashores that are going to be from Eretz Yisrael. And we'll spend this Shabbos in Yerushalayim, Yerakedish, Shabbat Shalom to all.